We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Okay, well, welcome. This is uh, episode 11 of the book review of Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And we are, are in chapter 10, and it's called The Triumph of the T. It, it is. Just is that a, a golf T. thing? Is that huh? a golf triumph of the golf T? Is that what he's talking about? <laughs> what? What do all these letters stand for, Hampton? When you when you read, you know, it's so easy for me to just gloss over LGBTQ plus, you know, in case anything was left out, I got the plus. But what are those letters? Well, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and uh, Q, I thought stood for queer, but... Uh, well, I think it does. But what, but what is, how do they define queer? Um, one place I read said it was the umbrella term for all of the other four letters. And you said when we were talking earlier, it was a questioning. I, I think that's what it is. Like so still undecided. That, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. That still, it, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't need the plus. Yeah, right. That seems redundant. For everything, so. Yeah. Well, and then, so if you're looking in the mirror, you know, you just got out of the shower, you're looking at the mirror and you're still wondering what your sexual identity is, then that's the cue. Right. You're, you're undecided. So the triumph of the T is the triumph of transgenderism. Transgender. And then, you know, as we often point out, Truman is such a good, you know, these opening little quotes. And he's got one of my favorite rock stars here. Oh, yeah. So this is a quote from the song Lola. Are you familiar with that? Like in the late 60s? Uh, was that an Eric Clapton song? No, it's oh, a, was... the Kinks. Ray Davies Kinks. was oh. the was the head guy for the Kinks. <laughs> OK, no, I had never heard of that. Oh, oh, it's just such a it's a catchy song. He was a fantastic writer. The reason I, I often refer to rock and roll stuff, though, I haven't with you too often. But uh, my mom was a singer growing up and uh, we had, boy, if there was the newest rock and roll album came to town and we grew up in Cleveland. So Cleveland has the rock and roll hall of fame music, rock music was such a big deal growing up. And the kinks were one of my favorites. Ray Davies was a really good writer, but it's a song about a transgender. Is it guy. really? Yeah, he's like picking up some girl in a bar. Turns out it's a guy. You know? oh, so yeah. it's it's Lola. 
girls will be boys and boys will be girls. It's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. And anybody who knows that song, you, you can't read those words without singing them. It's funny. Boy, and then I remember, have you ever read the book uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? No, I have not. Oh, that's a fun book. It was about this crime down in like Charleston, South Carolina, or not Charleston, um, New Orleans? Savannah, oh, Savannah, Savannah okay. Georgia. And I guess that's right near South Carolina. But anyway, so it's in Savannah. And um, <laughs> anyway, it's like a, a news reporter from New York went down to cover this strange murder that had taken place so he tries to get embedded in this society so the book's really a chronicle of his you know encounters with different people in savannah and he's been given this one person a ride into town every day when he goes in and it's it's like a, a dancer like a go-go dancer and um <clears throat> you know eventually they get to the place in their friendship as they drive into town where where the guy can ask you know which, what's your name? And she says, Shibli. And, you know, he sort of giggles to himself, you know, oh, that, that's a great name, you know, for a go-go dancer. And, and she says, well, it wasn't my name at birth. And he goes, oh, well, well, what, what was your name at birth? She goes, Frank. <laughs> and so, you know, he's giving this transgender guy a ride to work. He doesn't even know it. Oh, man, it's a funny book. Maybe did they make a movie out of that one? I I bet they did. I did, I didn't see the movie, but no. it was a popular book. Okay. Well, his first uh, section is entitled "The Enemy of My Enemy Is My Friend," and in that section, he talked about the strange alliance of LGBTQ community because although they have a in common that their identity comes from their sexual orientation the details of their specific orientation are very different and in fact are contradictory. How so? For example, how, how like the LNG communities assume that one's biological sex is real, right. but the T and Q communities deny that. And then even within the LNG communities, there are distinct differences. So the question is, why is it that they joined forces? And Truman said, uh, the reason for this is quite simple. Their shared victimhood as marginalized sexual minorities ultimately proved stronger than the social, economic, biological, and philosophical differences. Yeah, in, in other words, it's based on political power. And the political power of victimhood is a Marxist idea right the haves versus the have-nots so the have-nots would be the victims and so if you're not a financial victim many gays are very well off if you're not a financial victim uh then you can be a, a social victim by the by virtue of the persecution of the white culture right yeah the white the white bible believing culture persecutes you by not accepting your identity so all those things are lumped together but you you know that's like a den of thieves that 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 alliance would easily break apart um as as soon as the you know whatever gone. as soon as the enemy's gone well who is the enemy us that, that's the white you know bible believing culture we're the enemy yeah christianity right i sometimes hear people ask 
like how can the uh, LGBTQ community support Muslims when it's well known that if the Muslims were to take control of the society, they would kill all the homosexuals, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Well, I, they want us gone. I think the answer is they're, they're joining forces and they both hate Christianity for now. They're united against Christians. Exactly. So, I want, I thought it was interesting. I didn't know this, but one of the things that he said was that gay rights, people before the 60s were arguing that they could be just as patriotic and clean living as other Americans. But I didn't know they, they were campaigning with that idea. But instead in the 60s, that changed to blatant is beautiful. And the idea that American culture needed to be transformed. Yeah, it wasn't Yes, it wasn't that they needed to be accepted so much. It was that the entire culture had to change. Yeah. And then the AIDS crisis in the 80s was the thing that brought the LNG communities together. And then, yeah, that, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. One, one politician who himself died of AIDS was, was to die of AIDS. He tried to promote safe sex and shut down the bathhouses in San Francisco and, but there was a lot of resistance. And Truman said, if gay is an identity, then the narrative becomes one in which AIDS is presented as killing people because of who they are, not because of what they do. They are not responsible for their own illness and death any more than the color of their skin. They are victims. And television images of emaciated individuals dying painful deaths are always powerful and when the background narrative is that this is being caused by government obstruction and irrational prejudice against gay men, then that power is greatly enhanced. I can remember, well, I can remember video clips from the 80s for that kind of stuff. Sure. You know, so let me do a little rabbit trail. At least let me go this far. You don't hear too much about AIDS anymore. I know, I know we've talked about this privately off the podcast, but primarily the reason for that is a great virologist named, <laughs> <laughs> named Judy, Judy Mikevitz. Oh, I thought you were going to say Fauci. <laughs> oh, gosh, he's not a, I mean, yeah, that may have been his distant, distant past, but to, just for our listeners so that they know Tony Fauci's a political creature. He's not really a doctor. I mean, he's a, he's got a medical degree. He could talk science with you, but he's a political creature. None of none of those decisions are being based on um, what a true virologist would do or say. It's just all politics for him. So that's why you'll get contradictory. You know, oh, the mask is good. Oh, the mask isn't good. You, it's just he's going to blow with the wind of the politics. But Judy Mikevitz. Uh, all these people work in teams, as you know, no one could be a top-notch virologist just on their own. You need a lab and a team to work with you. So she she was the leader of the team that essentially, um, not maybe not defeated AIDS, but got, got the treatment of AIDS to such a place where it's not uh, fatal anymore. You certainly don't want to have that and it can kill you over time. But the treatments have been very successful against that devastating disease. And that, that's because of Judy Mikovits. And so she would be a great one to look at if you ever wanted to really find out what was going on in the world of virology, given 
the, uh, I don't even want to say pandemic, because I don't think it was actually a pandemic, but given the uh, COVID stuff, she look at her stuff on the internet and it's 180 degrees different. How you spell her? Do you know how to spell her last name? <clears throat> uh, fairly straightforward, I think. M I K O V I T S. Okay. Well, during that time in the 80s, the conservatives, and that would be the Reagan administration and Christians were saying, I don't know that the Reagan administration said this, but I heard Christians say this is God's judgment on that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so those kinds of statements, you know, were seen as uh, being oppressive. And then the gay community was the victim. And so if the Reagan administration didn't spend enough money on AIDS research, then they were literally condemning gays to die. Yep, I remember and that. I, yeah, I can remember those kinds of political messages. And then his, his next section is called the tea joins the party. <laughs> and, oh, with our friend uh, Bruce Jenner. Yeah, when he came out and claimed that he was a woman in an interview with Diane Sawyer in 2015, I... I for some reason thought it was long before that. I didn't realize it was only six years ago that that happened, but that was not really the beginning. The groundwork had been laid long before that, which we've been looking at through this whole book, but he, Jenner became the public face of the transgender movement. And he said he waited so long to come out because he didn't want to disappoint people. You know, he was the world's greatest athlete. He was the macho male yeah, his Olympic champ, gold medal in the decathlon, the the premier event in the Olympics, right? Yeah, I don't recall seeing too much about that in recent years. Is that because we haven't had any Americans, or uh, I just maybe. or I just didn't watch the right events? No, maybe you might be right. Maybe it's there's not a dominant American. Used to be, you know, when I was growing up, we were dominant in just about everything. You know, if the American guy didn't win the decathlon, you were surprised. We'd, we'd had a history of great decathletes, and, and he was in that, that long line. I remember his very close competitor of his was, was this German guy. And, um, but that, yeah, I remembered him as just a, a great athlete. Yeah. I remember his face on the boxes of Wheaties. Wheaties. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Um, oh, man. <laughs> so, so there was a long, dis uh, a long discussion in this section about how the transgender movement is really incompatible with the feminist movement. And, you know, women have been oppressed in most societies for the history of the world. And that is tied to their biology. And so for men to come out and say they are really women is denying that history of real women's experiences because they don't have menstruation and get pregnant and go through menopause. And so it really was a slap in the face to women. And I think maybe the best example of that today is men competing in women's sports. Oh my gosh! Don't don't get started here, man. That's so. I I know. Let me read a little part of this um, because I think it's important. So Jenner at one point's doing an interview with Diane Sawyer, and um, so it's on the TV. Maybe, maybe some remarks about interviews in a little bit, but 
he's doing this interview with Diane Sawyer. He says this, when he, like, I guess we call it, came out, right? It, you know, vocally expressed his sexual identity. Mm-hmm. He goes, I look at it this way. Bruce, like referring to himself in the third person, right? That he, he's right. no longer Bruce, right? Bruce, Bruce was always telling a lie. He's lived a lie his whole life about who he is. And I can't do that any longer. Should I take my out? I, it's hard to even read this. Yeah, why not? We're talking about all this stuff. Yeah, let's take the ponytail out. <laughs> um, yes, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. People look at me differently. They see you as this macho male, but my heart and my soul and everything I do in life, it's part of me. That female side is part of me. It's who I am. I was not genetically born that way. And as of now, I have all the male parts and all that kind of stuff. So in a lot of ways, we're different, but we will identify as female, but we still identify as female. And that's very hard for Bruce Jenner to say, because why? I don't want to disappoint people. And that, that, that's the point you emphasized at the end there. He, he felt like he was performing for people. But what's your gut feeling when you hear that, when you hear that segment of his interview? What goes on in your heart and mind? Well, sadness, for one, you know, kind of like that. That's crazy. I mean, I don't know what I think exactly, but mostly sad so yeah so i guess where i'm coming from is i think we've almost lost the ability to shoot straight in our culture because of the political ramifications of um politically correct speech and stuff like that when when i hear that i just go this guy this guy's crazy and it's hard to say that in our culture because it's, uh, you know, not politically correct and so on. He, he is crazy. And hence the sadness, you know, comes with no one rejoices in a truly crazy person. But that, that that's is as confused as I've ever heard. And, yeah. and we're just limited by our culture. How, how about we just call it how we see it? That's nuts. Yeah, I was... Uh saw something on Facebook yesterday by a guy named Anomaly. And I think he uses a zero instead of an O in the anomaly spelling. And he had a, a, a picture gif or whatever of uh, saying politically incorrect means that the society has basically agreed that we're going to all believe the lie. There you go. You know, the charade where when you divorce your it's like my so my daughter um, went to Baylor. Let's just name the school. So everybody knows had a lot of uh, science classes. She majored in biological engineering. So in her biology, your standard biology textbook, you know, they get to the genetics part. I guess it was the genetics class. And they say, you know, XX chromosome designates a a female, XY designates a male, but that is, the text literally says, but that is strictly genetics. Gender is a choice. 
in her college textbook. That's how it's worded. Wow. At Baylor. Well, we mentioned the book, uh, the movie Expelled with Ben Stein. Right. I, can, I can see it on my shelf across the room. One of the two, of, there were two of the schools that kicked professors out for believing that intelligent design was a better explanation than evolution. One of them was Biola and the other one was Baylor. Yep, there you go. So. There you go. And so, you know, back to your point, you know, the political correct is agreement that we're all going to agree to the lie. Boy, once you do that, I mean, people have, unless you sit down and think about it, the consequences of that move, that shift are, are devastating. That's death. Once you put your faith in a lie, oh my gosh, you're, you're doomed. There's, there's no recovery from that. Yeah, well, the whole Rousseau from Rousseau on, you know, we're going to believe that man is basically good. That's the lie. There, there you go. Let me read one. Other. I know you're anxious to move on. Let me read one other here because it's on, on the same page of Truman's. It's another uh, famous transgender person, though I didn't recognize this. Uh, Joanne Herman. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the name, you know, that she's adopted since her transition or what, but it's from Joanne Herman. I felt, you know, describing how she used to feel as as a like a woman trapped in a man's body. I felt like a car running on the wrong kind of gas. I did not fully understand how wrong it was until I replaced testosterone with estrogen when I transitioned genders in 2002. I now have an amazing sense of well-being and harmony that I never knew before. Now my body just hums. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> I remember it's reading crazy. that one. Yeah. Well, there was another thing you mentioned, and there was an interesting story of a woman who was a lesbian living with her lesbian partner. And then the partner decided she was a man and so became a transgender person. So the lesbian woman, yeah. to be consistent, because lesbianism is based on bio biology, she had to deny her partner's new denial of that biology, or she had to redefine herself. Was she now heterosexual because she was with a man? And I put man in quotes. It's so bizarre, it's even hard to describe it, but it's a great example, I think, of that plastic people that uh, Truman talked about in an earlier chapter. Exactly. Once you sever your anchor, imagine you're on a ship. Once you sever your anchor to reality, you are adrift on a sea of chaos that's where we are yeah well i was running errands yesterday and i like to listen to the steve dace podcast and they have a little thing at the beginning where they play audio clips of things that are said in the news recently yeah. and the thing that they played was a long clip of two transgender people in a hospital and the woman who was saying that she was a man in the relationship. She was the husband was pregnant. And the man who said he was the woman was complaining about how they were being treated because the hospital was saying that the biological woman had to register as the mother 
because she was actually the one giving birth. And the biological father, he wanted to register as the mother. And he was talking about how he couldn't produce milk and then all of the trouble he was going through. And it was the most bizarre thing yep. to listen to. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's a, it's a terrible mix of emotions because even as I hear you recount that, I mean, I'm trying to keep myself from laughing, but but that's on the surface, and underneath your heart just breaks. Yeah. For for how how um, confused these people can be. Yeah. Well, the next section is called the Yogi Art Yogyakarta principles, as in, I guess it's a, is that an Indonesian city or something like Jakarta? Somewhere in India, I think. Yeah, Indian, Indonesia. Um, In this section, he talks about a group of self-appointed experts who define the principles for the society in regards to the LGBTQ rights and human rights in general. And they don't really have any official government status, but the writings that they've produced um, are being used by countries around the world when they formulate their own laws about human rights. And they basically say that sexual orientation and gender identity is a human right on par with things like race, but even more important than race because it's the primary means of a political oppression. And, um, Truman points out that sexual orientation could include pedophilia and bestiality, but they would argue that consent is required. And he then points out that, well, kids are often told to do things without their consent, like eat your vegetables. Yeah, against their (laughs) consent, not just without it, but directly against. Right, right. And then it's called parenting. And cows, they don't don't consent to being turned into hamburger. So he said basically that it's not a robust foundation on which to build a comprehensive ethic. No, of course not. But so um, let's just agree that we've all jettisoned logic off the get go when these subjects come up, because sexual identities as clear as looking in the mirror. And yeah. if you're going to debate that, you have jettisoned yourself from reality off the get-go. So, so what sense does it make to then pull logic in later on after you've already pulled the rug out from under the table? You know, why appeal to logic once you've already determined that gender is a choice? Right. Well, the whole, the whole conversation is absurd from that, that point forward. Well, and, you know, when you deny the most basic principle of creation correct that there's a man and a woman um and like you say all logic then you know how does that apply when we have a pandemic and you know the things that they're telling us to do go against all logic and right. it's not anything that we've ever done in the past with with disease we've never locked down a whole society and everybody just goes along with it. And uh, well, right. And here and here's why. Here's why. Because Truman will, will point this out, because logic has been replaced. Right. Logic doesn't have persuasive power. 
anymore in, in our culture at large. Obviously, it does between human beings, right? Most of your conversations, you can appeal to logic. But in the broader sense of uh, the currents of our culture, logic has been replaced by feeling. And that's what, right, when we read, you know, Bruce Jenner's commentary and that other trans person's commentary, it was all feeling based. I feel this, I feel that. Well, our culture goes, well, therefore it must be true. And, but we won't even use true in the ultimate sense. You know, we'll agree that that's Bruce Jenner's truth. And I don't. Mm -hmm. But that's that's how our culture is going to perceive that, right? Feeling has replaced logic. Well, Im imagine the chaos that's going to result from that. Right. Yeah, Truen said also that transgenderism is the repudiation of the significance of history, an intentional act of cultural and personal amnesia. And so that history is that men and women are biologically different and and. Caitlyn Jenner has no idea what it's like to live in a woman's body. Yeah. So the, the, the lesbian women get mad at that, right? Like you can't, Hey, you don't qualify to inherit our history, right? You, you can't be part of that. Right. Yeah. And he concludes saying that transgenderism is a symptom, not a cause. It's not the reason why gender categories are, now so confused it's rather a function of a world in which the collapse of metaphysics and of stable discourse has created such chaos that not even the most basic of binaries that between male and female can any longer lay claim to meaningful objective status and the roots of this pathology lie deep within the intellectual traditions of the west well, there you go. That that's a uh, expert writer and an expert thinker putting in clearer words what I was saying. <laughs> once <laughs> once you're adrift on the sea of chaos, man, you're in trouble. That's basically what he was getting down to. Yeah. And then that's kind of the end of the chapter. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? Well, there's a couple things. One, you know, we. Truman's such a good guy to read because your vocabulary will expand. So how about this sentence in this paragraph? And we'll see if our listeners know what this word means. I certainly didn't. Whenever I point these things out it, as if I knew their definitions, the reason I know them is because I went and looked them up five minutes earlier. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Well, I was, talk I was talking with my oldest daughter last night and uh, she's in California and I was telling her about the book and how hard it was to read because of all the big words. And she goes, well, I'm surprised that you would say that because you always thought of you as having a big vocabulary. Oh, gosh. And, and I go, well, this this book is stretching me. There you go. So here's, here's one example. If the post-structuralist theory expressed in such rebarbative prose is perhaps hard to grasp on at first, second or even 15th reading, there are still clear practical instances of real human experience that demonstrate the problem of traditional categories of sexuality in a gender fluid world. 
with much greater clarity and emotional force. So the word I wanted to pinpoint there, rebarbative. Well, how, about way, po- how about post-structural? <laughs> yeah, post-structuralist. Yeah, you'd have to know. There, you can't even define that so much as you just have to be familiar with that whole branch of philosophy. Right. Right. It, that, that'd be hard to just define that in one sentence. But Well, post-structuralist, so the, would, would it be we had a structure to our society and we have deconstructed it and so now we're after you know, living in a time that we have no structure in our society. That's how I would say it. Okay. But, but what's the upshot of that, right? We've deconstructed, that is all those um, things that, that support and carry a culture based on biblical Christianity that's been removed, right? So now we're in a post-structural, right? Now we're adrift on the sea of chaos. So anyway, if the post-structuralist theory expressed in such a rebarbative prose, (laughs) so rebarbative, uh, here's the definition of that, the simple definition, unattractive and objectionable. So rebarbative prose, but you got the idea here. Even Truman has to read stuff a couple times, or Did 15 or yeah 15. he said that's that's how yeah, i felt yeah. when i was reading his book i i read it through and then i was called you and said we got to read this together and think about it because <laughs> i would read it and reread it and so you don't sit yep. down and read for 30 minutes or an hour you you have to take it in little chunks yes so um there's tons of things to put, you know, when we cover this material, um, boy, how, how much do you dive in? Um, so I, I would just say this generally, I don't necessarily want to continue to read paragraphs from Truman. He's, he's so sharp. I, I wouldn't always hesitate to do that because he's so good, but that's not necessarily the direction we're going now. Remember how he started the book? that uh, he wanted to explain how someone could make the statement, I'm really a man or a woman trapped inside a man's body. So when you get to the triumph of the T, his last chapter before he wraps everything up, it's not his last words that he's going to say, but his last chapter before he starts wrapping everything up, he's really reached the apex of uh, he wants to communicate. How is it that Bruce Jenner could say the things he's saying about what what he feels his own identity is? Right. So, so the way Truman approached that was first. Well, let me go back in history and see where all this started, and then then he debates with himself concerning that. Right. Well, how far back do you want to go? Because really, you could go back to Genesis three. Is is where truth. The, the anchor of truth on the ocean was severed. That, that's where we began to drift. Right. Um, but he, he traces it back to Rousseau, of course, and then goes through Freud and the critical schools and stuff like that. And so it's great reading to know how these ideas come about. I still want to summarize that and put that in a biblical context. So maybe to tease our listeners just a, a little bit, what I want to do is put that under the rubric of the prince of the power of the air and how it is that someone like Bruce Jenner could end up so incredibly confused that he would say he's really a woman inside a man's body. 
Yeah. I, you know, I can, I can almost envision Hampton, the devil with his, uh, with his cronies, right. With the demons and them like challenging him on certain things. I could imagine a D you know, Satan saying, you know, I'm the great liar. I'm the great deceiver. My, my lies are impenetrable. And I could imagine one of the demons standing up and going, mm, I don't think they're impenetrable. Like, I bet you couldn't make a guy think he was a girl. And I could see the devil going, oh, yeah, I can do that. Watch this. And so what you're really looking at down through the history, beginning where Truman starts with Rousseau, is the devil's lies. Yeah, I couldn't he help it. Up. When you were talking like that, I couldn't help but think of the screw tape. Letters. Isn't it? Isn't it exactly like that? That's and a, what would what would the screw tape letters look like? What kind of things would C.S. Lewis have had in those conversations or letters um, if he had written it today? Yeah. When did he write yeah. that? You know, sixty. No, I do, I don't have a you date. Know, on I don't. That. I don't know. I, sometime around there. Yeah. So this all of the things that we've been discussing that have come out since the sixties. We're not in that. So correct. Would so, be a, maybe it's time for someone to write screw tape letters part two. There we are. Yeah, I got chapter one. I got <laughs> I, 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 chapter one will be the demon that's in charge of Rousseau. And that, that demon will be reporting to his superior and his superior will say, hey, just make Rousseau think he's really a good guy and that the problem is really the culture, not him. And then you can see it all unfolding from there. Yeah. Well, one of the things we never did was talk about his or discuss his little conclusions at the end of each section. And yeah. those were always really good, good summaries. And yeah. in this one, he has a called epilogue to part four reflections on the triumphs of the revolution. Yeah. And he says, in the interest of brevity, I had to laugh at that. He didn't cover a lot of things like how people used to be shocked that politicians cursed in private. And I can remember that, you know, somebody report what so-and-so said behind closed doors. And now they do it in public and it's seen as a sign of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And there are many examples of where crudeness is seen as authentic. He probably could have had a chapter entitled the triumph of the crude, mm -hmm. but he focused on the sexual revolution. But all of these other little things are part of the package, part of the revolution. So they really aren't little. And uh, the whole revolution is based on the rejection of the sacred, which is that second world he talked about early on. Mm -hmm. and, and then specifically, it's the rejection of Christianity, which is what this nation was founded on. Correct. And I wanted to read a couple paragraphs from him in this, this epilogue. He says, the result is a world that has accepted the challenge of Nietzsche's madman to remake value and meaning in the wake of the death, indeed the killing of the Christian God, or indeed of any God. The repudiation not only of history, but of any authority that might pose a challenge to the present, even the authority of physically determined sex in favor of the fluid concepts of sexual orientation and gender identity is something that marks all the areas on which I have touched in this last section. And this is not simply a game for intellectuals and artists. Supreme Court judgments affect everybody. 
pornography is easily available to all and communicates a powerful philosophy, not only of sex, but also therefore of relationships and even of what human beings are actually intended for. Peter Singer's ethics both reflect and shape the wider Sittlichkeit, which means morality in German. Only a world that already imagines human beings to be nothing more than just another kind of animal, there's your Darwin, would find this basic premises, find his basic premises plausible. And such a world is then open in turn to being influenced with regard to its healthcare policies for both the very young and the very old. And trans transgenderism is set to change everything from no notions of privacy to the very language that ordinary people use in their day-to-day -day lives. And that's all of our pronoun, you know. Oh yeah, language. oh goodness. The revolution of the self is now the revolution of us all the modern social imaginary ensures that. Oh, there's my favorite phrase. Yes. The and then he says, yeah. the long-term implications of this revolution are significant for no culture or society that has had to justify itself by itself has ever maintained itself for any length of time. Such always involves cultural entropy, a degeneration of the culture because, of course, there really is nothing worth communicating from one generation to the next. Yeah, I mean, how sobering is that? So, you know, one of, one of the points I'd like to make is that first, first, let me jump in. And then I think Sitlikite is uh, certainly morality, but I, it might be even a little deeper than that. It's morality in the sense that how you fit into that right? Yes. Like to, to participate in a culture, right? To, to fit in morally with the, the ethos of the time. And then um, I'd, I'd like to say this, you know, as we start wrapping up this section. He, so back to the ship on the ocean of chaos, adrift. E even when I, I paint the picture that way, a listener of ours has to hearken back to the beginning of creation, because that's how uh, the initial creation was described. It was formless and void. And those Hebrew terms, tohu vavohu, is how you might say that in their language, really connote the idea it's not structured yet. There's just raw material there, but it's not, it's chaotic. There's no place and purpose to what's going on. So what was it that provided structure, that provided place and purpose to creation in its earliest stage? And the answer to that is it was the word of God. Right. Right. God said, let there be X, Y, Z. And then he, then he's creating place and purpose for the world as we know it. So one of the things I want to leave our listeners with is, though it's so sobering to realize that our society's crashed. I mean, it's, it's what we're watching is the slow motion, you know, fall off the cliff, but it's the speed at which we're traveling, heading for that cliff is you're, irrevocable at this point. I mean, we're going over. I, I don't see any turnaround. I know you have a brighter view of that than I do, but I, I don't I'm still, I'm still praying for re revival. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I should join you. 
Um, but I, I see us going over that cliff. But here, here's the good news of that. So how do you fight chaos with the word of God? God's word brings order out of chaos. So in one sense, now the word of God will be unmuffled in our culture because we've almost been dumbed down by the way these the guys set up this country, which I think was the greatest experiment in, in political theory ever conducted. I think it created the greatest nation there's been, but it wasn't flawless. And you can't have a flawless situation given mankind's uh, fallen nature. Until Jesus Christ returns, you're not going to have a perfect system. So our system did a great 200 years, good job, but it almost masked the, the true words of the faith because our, our culture was Christian, but it's not completely Christian. And, and I think people can easily con confuse in our previous decades patriotism with Christian faith. And those, those really are two very different things. So now I see a wedge between that. And that, that's a good thing for the word of God. It'll be unfettered now. It, it'll sound in such harsh contrast to what's going on. Like I'm a, a woman trapped in a man's body. Here's the biblical response. No, you're not. You're really confused. <laughs> Here's, yeah. who you, here's who you really are, right? How, what a stark contrast. So, you know, in other words, Hampton, the word of God will be black ink on a white page now, whereas before the colors were sort of blurred together. Yeah. Well, I'm remembering, I guess, I can't remember the guy. He went and started a new, new state, a new colony early on in American history. And he did not like the fact that it was required that everybody go to church because you couldn't tell who was a Christian and who wasn't. And so he, I don't know if it was Massachusetts or Rhode Island. I can't remember. And, but in that one, they did not require you to go to church. And so they knew who were Christians and who weren't so that they could go to the ones who weren't and evangelize. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing. You know, when you live in a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic society where you kind of have a common morality and you kind of have a common belief in God, it's kind of easy to pretend you're a Christian yeah. and say, you say you're a Christian, but now they, you stand out a little more and you can uh, evangelize those who obviously are not. Yep. That's right. So you, the, the way to defeat chaos is you send forth the word of God and, and you watch it correspond to reality and have its place and purpose effect. So in that, I rejoice yeah. as, as we all should. Well, he concludes by saying that the book was neither a lament or a polemic. It's just an attempt to explain how the revolution came about. But I think it felt like a lament because it's heartbreaking, as you mentioned earlier, to see what has happened to the country. And sure. I think I think it had the seeds of being a polemic because understanding the history and the facts is the first part of a polemic. Sure. If you're going to polemic being given argument. Yeah. 
And so hopefully our discussion has had some seeds of being a polemic or argument to help people in their discussions with their neighbors or their coworkers. Yeah, the way I would I would see it is diagnostic. Right, right. He's tracing through history how we got to this point. He's diagnosing the pathology of our culture. I, I that's how I read him. Right. So well, I guess that's the end of this section and he has a prologue which we can conclude with next week sure so yeah okay. and then, then we're going to get to uh tracing you know more sketching it out like when you let me give you another analogy one of my favorite guys in history was leonardo da vinci what a genius yeah so when you we've got I don't know how many books on Leonardo laying around our house, but when you look at his pictures and you can imagine some of them are, you know, fully formed and then you finally get to the painting, they would sketch those things out, of course, before they painted them. And so you can see the step by step process, right? He's giving you the rough outline, then more detail, then more detail, then more detail. Then they put the color in and voila, you have a famous painting that's worth a gazillion dollars. But I'd like to sketch in in a little more detail at some point, maybe a, a couple sessions from now, we'll do uh, the Prince of the Power of the Air and, and put Truman's book into that grid. You know, almost like not, not necessarily do the, um, uh, what were we saying with C.S. Lewis, the screw tape letters kind of approach, but, but maybe something akin to that. Because that, I think, so Truman has really no mention of the demonic realm. He's explaining everything from a, a naturalist point of view, which is good. You're trying to reach a, a wider audience. But I think we can sketch in the contours with the uh, effects of the demonic realm on all this stuff. And I think that'd be helpful for our listeners. Yeah, I do too. And we also talked about tools of analysis early yes. on. Yes. So maybe we can uh, list That's the tools. Right. That's right. That's so. right. We'll do that as well. Okay. Well, until next time. Thanks, Hampton. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.